podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, I don't know about the coronation, but that almost gave me a coronary. This is the 1865 Match Report. We're recording the day after Nottingham Forest beat Southampton 4-3 in a match that was way more tense than it should have been and has taken about 10 years off my life expectancy. My name is Rich Ferraro and in just a minute I will be joined by Adam. First, let's have a look at the team. So Forrest made just the one change from their last lineup, which meant that Danilo was available and Brennan Johnson was available. So it's a back four with Navas in goal, Aurier and Lodi at fullbacks, and Felipe and Niacate at centre half. We had the returning Ryan Yates as captain in the middle of the park alongside Danilo with Oral Mangala anchoring the midfield just behind them. And Taiwo Awani was up front, flanked by Brennan Johnson on the right and Morgan Gibbs-White on the left. Um, Adam, how was it for you? Oh, what a night. Uh, like, such a special night. I think most people agree when they go to Forest as well. The city ground on the lights is always just, it's just absolutely magical. Uh, and last night was no exception. Absolutely brilliant. Got a bit carried away with the beer. It was that good. But I'm okay now. I'm, I'm fully recovered at this point. And yeah, what I can't wait to reflect on a, a brilliant evening. Yeah. And um, so a couple of things that, that come to my mind there before we get on to talking about the match. So the first one is that actually I didn't mind so much when the match got moved from being a Saturday kickoff to being Monday night because I was like, it'll be under the lights. It feels so special doing that. And then secondly, I'm pretty certain, Adam, that you were not the only one hanging in your workplace this morning, because um, even for me, who didn't have a drop to drink yesterday, I was exhausted. My throat's still gone. And and yeah, it's hard to concentrate today. Um, let's talk about the match. And I think it's worth pointing out 4-3 in some ways makes it sound like the match was closer than it actually was because I do think Forrest were better in terms of quality in many respects but equally they could have gone behind after just two minutes couldn't they yeah look I completely agree that the the score probably does flatter Southampton slightly um I thought they were all right Southampton on the night to be honest I thought they were a lot better than I thought they'd be um but saying that yeah they they just they did start better though they did start the game better you know we we are notoriously slow starters um we kind of we like to feel teams out and I and I feel like that's what we did last night we 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 sort of Morgan uh, said it in his post match interview actually about the game plan which was actually to get into them from the first minute but then after that scare that you mentioned there. I think it was kind of like a, right, okay, let's let them have 10 or 15. Let's let them have the ball. Let's feel them out. And let's see where we go from there. Um, I could be completely honest and say, I don't think we played very well first half. Um, but we were something that they weren't, which was we were absolutely clinical in front of goal. And that's not something I've said about Forrest a lot this season. But we were ruthless in front of goal. And I think that was the big difference last night. So, yeah, look, I, th- I think Southampton, if I was Southampton, if I'm watching that last night, I wouldn't have been disappointed with the away performance, to be honest. Uh, we will hear from a Southampton fan a little bit later on, so we'll be able to find out. Um, I mean, there's a few things 
worth talking about. So yeah, Shea Adams, he had that chance where just for a split second, he was he was clean through on goal, but he just took that one extra second to try and get the ball under control and Felipe blocked it. And then Forrest had to try and, you know, like you said, you know, had to kind of settle a little bit. But when they did score, Bayek, the goals were good. And uh, so let's talk about that first goal, Adam. It was uh, a quick free kick from Renan Lodi. Danilo um, crossed the halfway line and played an absolute peach of a ball uh, to Brennan Johnson, who did what Brennan does when he's at his best, didn't he? Yeah, and I think to be honest, Bre- Brennan was outstanding last night. You know, he, he he really, really was, and it was so nice to see Brennan play so well and to to really grow into a game and to really put his stamp on the game. But the go- as I say, the the goal was ruthless, and we were ruthless all night. I mean, I, I've seen people slating Alex McCarthy in goal. There's no way he can save that. Been absolutely hammered at him. Like Awani got every last bit of that. And I've watched it a couple of times and I've watched the goals back a few times. And it's just a ruthless finish. And that is the Awani before his injury. Before his injury, actually at Southampton, he was really growing into a, a proper striker for us. And it's so nice to see it because he, he has had a tough time to come back from his injury. You know, he's people have you know, slating him on social media, which I've always thought was a little bit harsh. I think I don't think he's had a t- particularly terrible game since he's come back, but he's just clearly not been fit. Clearly needed to get back up to match fitness and sharpness, and he was sharp last night. And that that goal was just—it was so well taken. It was brilliant by Brennan, and it was a really, really good goal all round. There were some nice parallels, weren't there? Because as you say, he he scored that goal at Southampton, then he had that spell out injured, and in many ways, the cross and shot. This, he got his first goal in this match was pretty much a mirror image. It was Brennan on the right-hand side, putting the ball, ball across perfectly so Taiwo could take it in his stride and hammer it home. So, yeah, a nice bit of um, symmetry there, I suppose. And then what happens when you score goals as a striker is you feel able to to have a go. And just a few minutes later, I think two, three minutes later, Forrest then... Um, again, they kind of use that confidence to to exploit the little gaps in the Southampton defence. So the ball went into the box and then it kind of came out a little bit again. So Yates to Lodi to Danilo. Danilo popped it up and then Taiwo was sort of penalty spot-ish, wasn't he? Maybe a little bit closer than that. But he just took it first time, span and volleyed it home. Absolute belter of a shot. Nothing that the keeper could do. And all of a sudden, Forrest were 2-0 up. And, I mean, we were in dreamland at that moment, weren't we, Adam? We absolutely were. And, look, the the goal is, the goals themselves, they just came from just brilliant uh, build-up play by Forrest. Um, I'd say probably the way it comes to Tower, you could say there's a bit of fortune in it. But I don't think there was, to be honest. I think it's... It is it is good football by Forrest in the build up, but that finish, I mean that that is the finish of a man that's got no like reservations about his ability because it he it hits the ball sweet as a nut. McCarthy's got absolutely no chance in goal. You know it, it it's it's an excellent finish, and I well I sit in the lower trend, so it's not as if obviously I was right behind it or anything. But from where we sat, it it 
it didn't even it didn't look like he'd go for that you know and probably a few games ago he wouldn't have a few games ago he probably would have took it down and you know the the, the defenders then in the way and the chances then gone so yeah like i say a few games ago he probably doesn't take that on but yeah, I think you're probably spot on with what you said about the fact that he scored his first goal and then he just felt, you know, I've got, I, I've got, I can absolutely bully Southampton tonight and that he he holds off his defender really well and yeah, like you say, hammers it home, excellent finish. It, I, I, I run out of like words to describe Tyro last night because he was that good and and it's like it's so nice to be able to talk about Tyro in a positive way because clearly he is a really good player there, isn't there? There, and there have been plenty of opportunities um, in the last sort of, let's say, three or four weeks where we've said, oh, Taiwo, before his injury, he'd have, he'd have got that. And last night he, he capitalised. So that was good to see. And just when Forrest should really have been taking control of the game, annoyingly, they actually let the Saints back into it. So um, Danilo and Gibbs White tried a one-two on the halfway line but Gibbs White got his return pass all wrong and it gave it to Southampton. The ball broke through to Stuart Armstrong on the left-hand side. He popped it into the middle and Carlos Alcaraz had the simplest task to do to just poke it home. Now, Adam, you're in the lower trend. I'm in the lower Brian Clough stand. Um, I mean, obviously the build-up to that was a disaster. Gibbs White got it wrong and he knew it in his post-match interview. Um, Was there, in your mind, a slight question mark about offside? with Alcaraz's finish because when he received the ball he'll certainly be on the defender yeah so I'll touch on Gibbs White first of all like not he did make a mistake however we were just we were absolutely caught weren't we we had so many players up you know up the pitch and we just got caught and that happens look it happened to Brighton five times so you know mm-hmm. it, it happened once to us it, it it's one of those things my my initial reaction was that he was offside. Like I'm right behind it. I looked at him. I thought he's got to be offside because he's absolutely free as a bird. He, he, there's no way he's onside there. Um, and it did go to VAR. And um, we were told it, it did go to VAR because obviously everything goes to VAR and it was checked and there was no concern about it um, being offside. And I watched it back and and this is where the problem is with VAR in a way, because where did they, where would they have drawn the lines? Where would they have looked at it? Because I've watched it from two or three different angles and, you know, a few of them make it look like he's level. A few of them make it look, look like he's offside. So it, it's a difficult one, but I would lean towards saying he was onside. Uh, and, and just. Crucially, there, there was no big appeal for offside from the Forest team. No, no, no. No, there wasn't. And I think that we've still got to defend better and we can't rely on um, an offside bailing us out. So I, I, I think, as I say, I watched it back a few times and I think he's probably just onside. But yeah, poor goal to concede, but I would argue we just got caught. Mm. And I think that, that that just can happen, can't it? You can just get caught. Mm. And the thing that I think was noticeable is that for the rest of, most of the rest of the half, Forrest were as good in midfield as I've seen them for some time. So Yates, he obviously was there with his battling qualities. We'll come back to him in a little while. Um, Danilo was imperious and Mangala in the, in the anchorman role, he was just really, really confident. He was looking like he wanted to receive the ball all the time, spray the passes around, take his men on. He's playing with a lot of confidence at the moment, isn't he, Adam? Yeah. When, 
towards the start of the season, I remember it uh, Everton away, and I watched I watched Mangala, and obviously, but th- th- at this point in time, look, we hadn't had a lot of we we hadn't had a lot of fantastic players walk through the door. Uh, let's just say, and I saw Mangala, and I thought, what a player he is! Like he he absolutely dominated Everton that day, and and last night reminded me of that, and he's. He's a player that divides a lot of opinion across the fan base, mostly because sometimes he's absolutely brilliant, best player on the park, and sometimes he, you, you would have forgot he even played the game. So, but last night, yeah, he was outstanding. He was he was winning everything. He was so confident as well. And in fact, I noticed quite a few times when he got the ball, and he just he has like a little touch past the player, or he'd have a little turn, or he'd get the ball, and he'd, he'd play a first time ball, and it'd be perfect. Like he. he Barely put a foot wrong, and I tell you what, picking man of the match last night must have been really, really tough because there was a lot of nominations for it. Yeah, and it's a it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Um, I, now because there's a lot to talk about, we're going to kind of skip over a little bit and and head towards half time. Now, the thing that uh, happened just before half time that gave Forest fans a, a whole lot of relief was the two-goal cushion was restored. Now, you were at the opposite end of the pitch. I was on the other side of the pitch. I thought it looked like a soft penalty that was awarded when Maitland-Niles brought down Brennan Johnson. But again, there didn't seem to be huge amounts of complaining in reality. It, it's one of them where I really felt for Maitland-Niles. And, and I think that that sounds odd coming from a Forest fan, but I, I hate when they get given... Because they look, they are penalties. Objectively, that is a penalty. He he, he did he did take Brennan out. Um, he did. You know, it's but it's one of those really unfortunate ones where he doesn't even know Brennan's there, and he just goes to kick the ball, and Brennan very cleverly just sticks his foot in and gets taken out. It is a penalty. That's why Maitland Niles didn't complain, didn't say a word because he knew it was a penalty. But you do always feel for the player a little bit in that scenario, just from just from a neutral perspective. I I would have really, if I was watching that game and it wasn't a Forest game, I would have really felt for Maitland Niles. But look, absolutely a penalty, the right decision. Um, and when Gibbs White stepped up, I might have been one of the calmest people in the stadium because I didn't think for a second he'd miss. Like I I, mm. I really didn't. I, I just I think the the confidence he's playing with at the moment, and I, it might be a bold claim to say this, but he's one of the best players in the division at the moment. He's in the last three or four games. He's been absolutely brilliant, and the confidence he's playing with, I just I didn't think he'd miss. And like yeah. you say, that that was massive relief. And actually, what I would say there is that I think after he made that mistake, which let Southampton in, there's about ten fifteen minutes where he you could tell he was just taking an extra second to try and think about things, second guessing himself a little bit. But firstly, when Brennan got brought down, I think every Forest fan was going. Brennan's not going to take it, is he? And then Yatesy stood on the penalty spot. We all knew he wasn't going to take it. So there's actually a, a cheer and a round of applause when Morgan then took the ball to take the penalty. And as far as I was concerned, yeah, I'll, unlike you, I was nervous. But I also thought that when he took it, there's absolutely no doubt that it was going in. Um, I actually don't think it was the best penalty in the world because I think if you're going to hit it, in the middle, if you do it really low, there's a chance that the keeper saves it with his legs. <laughs> and he is slightly more close, closer than I would have liked in an ideal world. But nonetheless, Forrest went into halftime leading 3-1. And 
all was well in the world. We were excited. We were beating uh, Southampton 3-1 in a game that we had to win. Now, that kind of soured a little bit shortly after the break. So in the first half, Lianco had come on at centre-half for um, Bella Kocha, which I thought was a very amusing substitution because it was the defender with the longest name, Amel Belakotchap, going off for the defender with the shortest name, Lianco. And Lianco added a different dimension to Southampton's play just because he's so big and powerful. And so defensively, he added something new. And also he showed he was being good on the ball. I know that he's had a bit of a hot and cold time since joining Saints. But also attacking wise, let's be honest, it was a corner that came in. A corner we probably shouldn't have conceded, in fairness. Um, Yates tried to play it across to Aurier, who wasn't there. Southampton got through, and then the ball went out for a corner. Ward Prowse, one of the best dead ball um, specialists in, in, well, one of the best in the history of the Premier League. He took a corner. Felipe lost Lianco just that yard, and Lianco got a powerful header. Uh, so, firstly, Adam... Should Felipe have done better? And secondly, should Navas have saved it after he got his hands to it? Um, so Felipe should have done better um, because he can't he can't lose a player like Lianco because he's so deadly from corners. And just a quick point on Lianco uh, before I touch on the Navas, um, which whether he should have saved it. I think I think if we stay up, we've got to look at signing Lianco. I I really like him. He he does remind me, and he's he's not as good as Felipe. I want to point that out before I say that. But he is a very similar player to Felipe. Like he's aggressive, he's quick. Um, he's got a beard. He's got a beard. You know, um, he's he's obviously a lot younger than Felipe as well. So I, I would actually love to see Forrest go in for him um, if we do stay up. But I don't I don't think Navas could have saved it. I know I know he did get did get the hands to it. Um, but it's a bullet header. It yeah. is a bullet header. And I think that it, it's just one of those where, because it's closer to Navas, he could get a hand on it. But similar to the Pyro goal, actually, in a way, although it was close to the goalkeeper, there was just too much power on it. I, I, I don't think he could have kept that out. So I, I wasn't watching that thinking, oh, you know, Navas could have saved it. But I was watching that thinking, how has he got free? Because that, that was my biggest concern there is, he shouldn't be getting free. He shouldn't be getting the space to do that. So that was my biggest disappointment from that goal. I don't feel like he should have gotten that space. But it, I'm not. I don't think that any of this soured the day or anything. Like, but I think that we need to be careful because it's a very, very soft goal to concede, and so is the first one. So it mm-hmm. is, it's definitely something to bear in mind. It's something that Steve Cooper will be showing the lads in the next couple of days, I can guarantee. Mm. And I think what's worth pointing out is that having made it 3-2, Southampton had all the pressure and the the possession stats, as with most of Forest's matches, um, are are sobering reading if games were won on possession. And of course they're not. So Southampton had a lot of the ball and they did try and press Forest. And um, and it, it, it was a... A low block, it was a bit of a rearguard action from Forrest. But when they tried to break, they tried to do that. Now, Serge Aurier did his Serge Aurier thing of either defending really well or kind of disappearing a little bit. Um, at the same time as well, it was notable that Ryan Yates, who's covering the right-hand side of midfield and his customary kind of right-hand number eight position, um, that that he was struggling 
And all the way through the match, he'd been fiddling with something under a shirt. I'm assuming it was his um, GPS tracker um, and, and that that was causing him some discomfort. So he's fiddling all the way. And but he was obviously back in the team after a few weeks out and, and, and he was blowing, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I, th- I think it was difficult because I think you've got it. You, I think it was the right call to start Yates just because of what he offers. And, and he is one of our most consistent performers when he's in the side. So I think it was definitely the right decision to start him. Um, but yeah, look, he was always going to blow after a little bit. You know, he's not started a game in a while. So it, it was always going to be tough for him. I don't think Aurier had his best game last night in a Forest shirt. It has to be said. I think he was okay. Um, and he is that kind of player. He is a little bit of a hot and cold player for us. Um, but look, look, luckily, I don't think Southampton were very clinical on the night. You know, they did have chances. They did make some pockets of space. Um, I think Alcaraz is, is is a real player. I, I really like him. I think he's. I think he played really well last night. Um, but luckily, in the second half, there's a couple of moments where I thought we got away with that one a little bit. So. It didn't cost us, but again, it is something we've got to be aware of going forward, especially playing away at Chelsea on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, that's something that Steve Cooper reflected upon in his post-match interview to say the goals we scored were good, but we also need to, there's there's still gaps there. And Aurier, one of his disappearing acts came, (laughs) the guy next to me said, where's Aurier? As Southampton attacking down the left-hand side. It's because he'd gone down and straight away, Worrell was being prepared to come on as a sub. And so they obviously knew that he was carrying a problem and they knew that he'd need to come off straight away. Um, We'd already had a moment where Yates and Felipe had gone down at the same time and we were thinking, oh God, the injury curse is coming to to haunt us again. Um, When Worrell came on, he took the armband and we thought, oh, well, they must be going three at the back and then they'll, I don't know, move someone to play as right wing back. But actually, Wazza came on and and played as an orthodox right back. And you know what? I thought he did it really well. Considering that he's never really played right back in his entire career, I thought he was excellent. I'll be honest with you, you know, know, he's he's come on a lot. I mean, he's come on six times as a sub for an injury. That that has got to be up there with like, I, I can't name that happen you know, happening many times. So, yeah, I think for me, it, he was absolutely outstanding when he came on. He, he, he didn't, he didn't miss, didn't miss a beat. And I think you could argue that every time he's come on for a sub, he, he's probably, he's put in a decent shift. Obviously, the, one of the things that we've talked about before is there's a few players who are being held together with gaffer tape and um, Taiwo at times, he looks a bit Fragile still. Um, we know that Niakate is being held together with gaffer tape. I think Aurier is one of those. There's quite a few players who who are carrying injuries. Yatesy eventually succumbed on 70 minutes when he was replaced by Czech Kuyate in a straight swap. I think from people where we were sitting, we were thinking that sub was coming maybe 10 minutes too late because he'd been struggling. But I'm assuming it was a pre-planned substitution to replace him on 70 minutes. In the meantime, Southampton also made some changes and they basically made attacking changes. So they took off Theo Walcott and put on uh, Sulemana. They took off the rest of their front three-ish. Um, so Alcaraz was replaced by Adam Armstrong. Stuart Armstrong was replaced by Adozi. And Adams was replaced by Onoachu, who 
if you weren't watching last night, Forest fans, the only thing I can say to describe Onuatru is he's more like a basketball player in stature than he is a footballer. He is tall. He's got that kind of that that gait that basketball players have. Um, and he was a, probably about, I would say, at least two foot taller than any other player on the pitch. Don't you? Don't you think, Adam? Yeah, definitely. Um, he's an option, isn't he? Let's, let's definitely call him that. He's an option off the bench if you're chasing the game. Um, no, it's uh, he, he was good, and I think their subs were actually really what you know. I think they did did okay. Um, they 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 gave us a different thing to mark, but we dealt with him pretty well. And I, and I think that there's a lot of Southampton fans there. I actually uh, can I, can now say that I did take a Southampton fan to the game, but he is one of my closest friends. Um, and I didn't think that he'd be like, you know, he was all right, bad ill. Mm. And he, when he, when they brought him on, he said he should have started. He's not not a big fan of Trey Adams at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe maybe there's definitely a case for that because he did okay when he came on, but look, we dealt with him and I think that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, and I mean, the, let's just say it was very important to have that, uh, to have that cushion because um, around the same time as Southampton made their triple sub and bringing on... Um, bringing on Onuachu and the others uh, is around that time that Forrest got what is, I mean, it's gone viral today, this goal. And it was an another thing of absolute beauty. So Adam, can you describe to me what happened when Forrest scored their fourth goal? I went about three rows down from where I sat is what happened. I, I just got <laughs> long. Um, but no, look, it was an unbelievable goal. Like, you know, the t- the touch by Morgan was unbelievable. I want to talk about the, the work by Brennan before. So the, the work by Brennan was excellent to get the ball into that area. But that touch by Gibbs White, it's... I watched the goal back probably about 15 or 20 times today from different angles and from different publications on Twitter and whatever. And the touch from Gibbs White is outstanding. If Kevin De Bruyne did that this weekend, it, it, it'd be absolutely everywhere. It'd be like, oh, he's the best player in the world. He's amazing. But look, it, it was unbelievable, that touch. And it's that man again, isn't it? With the goal. And I, I absolutely love him. Absolutely love Danilo. Like, he's he's got so much energy. He's so good on the ball. He's such a good finisher. Like, and there's a few times when I remember being at Man United away in the cup and he had a really good chance that he hammered onto the bar. And I thought, he will score goals. He will be a goal-scoring midfielder. And when we signed him, the opinion from the South, South American side of things was that he was a bit of a deep-lying playmaker. He absolutely hasn't been that for us. He has been a box-to-box, arrive late in the box, like Frank Lampard-esque midfielder who is just always in the right place at the right time. The touch was outstanding. The finish was brilliant. The celebration was great. He's got that little signature celebration that he does. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. And the fact that he's on a six and a half year contract at Forest is an unbelievable bit of business. Even if we went down, it would take an astronomical fee to get him out of Forest. So yeah. that is, it's been an excellent bit of business by the club. So talking of transfer fees, people have sat up and noticed because Danilo scored three and three games. That's like what Forrest have paid like 16, 17 million for him. That looks like an absolute bargain. But also that Gibbs white touch, people are going, oh my God, I can see why they forked out 42 million for him. And we haven't paid that yet. We might never pay that amount. Um, and all of a sudden people go, yeah, my God, 42 million looks like a real bargain for him. And let's just talk about 
that touch because Nick Miller, friend of the podcast, did say on Twitter, I've just noticed that Gibbs White did a double flick from his right heel to his left, which killed the pace off the ball. And that's why Danilo was able to run onto it so perfectly and just hit it first time. Did he mean it, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, if Jack Colback did it, I, w- I don't think he would have meant it. But <laughs> like, no, no disrespect to Jack or anything, but it's not his sort of game, is it? But no, a player of more Gibbs White quality, I, I fully believe that he did it. Even if, even if he did, he didn't mean to do it. I fully would believe him if he told me he did, because that, it, it look, it, it is, it's, I, I, in my lifetime, I've never seen players this good play in the Forest. Morgan Gibbs-White is going to be an England international. He's going to play for a top four club, unfortunately. You know, we're not going to keep him forever. But whilst he's here, we've just got to enjoy him because he's an absolute joy to behold as a footballer. You know, what makes me laugh is when we signed in, the Wolves fans gave him loads of stick. He gave it back on the pitch, let's be honest, right? He scored and he's got, he's got more goals and assists than any player in the Wolves squad this season. And that includes Mateus Cunha that signed for 50-odd million. And I'd just like to say thank you to the Forest Review Twitter account for pointing that out. Gibbs White has more goal involvements than Matoma, Isak, Silva, Havertz, Kulisevsky, Sterling, Sancho, and the entire Wolves squad. Do you need to say any more than that about him? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> literally, they've been given a stick all season long about Gibbs White and all this sort of stuff. He is an absolutely brilliant footballer. And if you can't see that, start watching rugby because football isn't for you. (laughs) Yeah. And um, let's, again, there's lots to talk about. So we're not going to be able to cover every single thing. That goal was a thing of beauty. The thing that happened in stoppage time when Forrest had been absolutely under the cosh Forrest had by this stage gone to a back five. We had four central defenders on the pitch. We'd taken off Taiwo and replaced him with Sam Savage. We'd taken off Brennan and replaced him with Willie Bolly, who was back on the bench. And we went to a back five because of Onoachi being up front and because of Lianco providing the aerial threat. Um, now, just very quickly, Adam, sometimes Cooper's substitutions have been accused of being overly negative. On this occasion, was that defensive reshuffle... Cooper said it was to combat the fact that Southampton had these big guys on and Ward Prowse's prowess from, uh, no pun intended, from set pieces. Do you think it was the right thing to do? Yeah, I I think that we look, we were four two up. You know, the game was won. I don't, I don't see any reason that you would think to to not do that in a way. Like I think it, it was absolutely fine to do it. I, I look, I get that people want us to go for the jugular, go for a fifth goal, which we should have had, by the way. Um, go for the fifth goal, go for the sixth goal, be ruthless, you know, put a marker down to Leicester and Leeds and Everton and, you know, whatever. But don't, you don't need to. When you're 4-2 up, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Bolly needs to get some minutes back in his legs as well because I think people forget how good he was before he got injured uh, for us. He was absolutely class. So it, it made sense all around for me. Um, obviously, I know we're going to talk about what happened in stoppage time, but just before we do that, I felt so bad for Felipe. Like he's so he's been so good for us since he signed. And if I thought he had his goal, I was like, get in there. Felipe's got a goal. We've got we've scored five goals in the Premier League against the team. Absolutely buzzing. 
And the, the dreaded VAR came up. I thought, oh, no. no. So, so Morgan has got five goals and um, six assists this season, which is more than in a single Premier League season than Ian Wone and Steve Stone, who managed it in 1995-96. He almost had that seventh assist because it was a free kick from about 40 yards out, 45 yards out. He took it quite flat down the middle. Felipe just ran through and I tell you what, this man's a seasoned central defender. He played it like a seasoned centre forward. He took the first touch on his right foot in his stride, placed it, didn't just welly it, he placed it past McCarthy in the goal. We're all in ecstasy. He did a capoeira like somersault to celebrate, and then VAR's checking it. And it was the right decision from the stills. But wouldn't have that been absolutely the crowning glory? Because I think it's fair to say we all love. Yes, he's made a couple of mistakes here, there, just like every single Forest player. But we love him. And nothing would have made me happier than if that goal had stood. Yeah, look, he's the best centre half at Forest since probably Des Walker. I don't think that's ridiculous. I think that's a pretty fair statement to make. Um, he's he's unbelievable. The only reason Atletico let him go. Uh, if you believe any rumours and stuff, was one, because of his age, and two, because of his disciplinary record. I, neither have ever been an issue at Forest, have they? So, uh, until this point, I'm going to touch wood there. I don't want to get sent off on Saturday or anything. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it would have it, it was such a shame. It was a shame. But, yeah, I should say it was the right decision. Frustrating, but it was the right decision. He was offside. It was the right decision, but it took a long time to get there. And we were already in seven minutes of stoppage time. And then Southampton go down the other end and we're defending a corner. And the ref gives a penalty when Lavia goes down under a challenge from Surridge. And everyone's thinking, well, that looked even softer than the one on Johnson in the first half. And VAR looked at it and... I've not looked closely enough, Adam. You have. Was it a pen? No, no, not. There's no contact. Like, if there's any, it's mind you, not enough to go down. Lavia, you know, to be fair to him, he's clever. He knows what he's doing. It's similar to Johnson one, but the Johnson one, there was a fair decent amount of contact. And this one, there just there wasn't a lot. It was minor at most. A brush, you know, a gust of wind type scenario where there was barely anything in it. Definitely not. Well, for me anyway, I I don't think it was a penalty at all. And luckily it didn't cost us in the end, but it made us... did VAR uphold it because they felt there wasn't a clear and obvious error? Yeah. So so by the VAR ruling, like you say, it has to be clear and obvious error. Whereas this was, because it was borderline and because it was like a... 50-50 50-50 kind of goes either way, although I think it, I think it was more 80-20, def- not a penalty, but I think a lot of people think could have gone either way. Maybe see the reasoning for it to VAR can't overturn it, but and that, it, 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 there was barely anything in it. It was a shame that it was given. And like I say, if that was 4-4 four, four, four or 3-0, I would have been fuming. So I'm glad that it hasn't cost us anything in the end. And let's be honest, goal difference isn't keeping us up anyway. So it doesn't make much of a difference. And again, VAR was looking at that for a full two minutes and um, to to make a decision which was, eh, 
Um, so that was a bit frustrating. And of course, James Ward-Prowse, we knew he's going to do, he has missed penalties, but there's again, never any doubt. And it meant that the last four minutes or so of, of, of 11 minutes of stoppage time were way more tense. And as I say, it's taken years off our life expectancy. Uh, in the end, However, the final whistle went, despite it feeling like they were just going to keep playing until something else happened. But the final whistle went after Forrest defended another corner and had been under the cosh and Navas had made saves and Forrest had made last-ditch clearances and and we panicked a lot. But Forrest finished 4-3 winners. The 1865 Match Report. Welcome back to the 1865 Match Report. Now, before we get a view from the opposition, uh, I'm joined by a voice that you will recognise, the person who does our voiceovers, Amilka. And last night, because it's so hard to get tickets, was actually your first Premier League match this season, wasn't it? So, first question is, did you enjoy it? I loved it, but I was totally nerve-wracked throughout the whole experience. Um, I've nearly had about five heart attacks throughout the game. Um, But yeah, the atmosphere was amazing and um, it was great to be back at the ground again. And uh, to let our listeners into a secret, I think you had four warnings for decibel levels on your watch, didn't you? Yeah, 100 decibels. They kept telling me it was too loud. And and at one point, it told me to be a bit more mindful, maybe chill. (laughs) Easier said than done, Mm -hmm. I think, for everyone in the ground, including the Saints fans. So there's another thing that kind of got on your nerves a little bit in the match, wasn't there? And it was to do with the fans, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just preempting the results um every time it just makes me cringe like Leicester and Southampton down at the bottom it's just those kind of things every time we scored people said it and it just stop it it so, really gets my nerves so in particular at 2-0 up we'd just taken a 2-0 lead there are some fans singing you're going down with a Leicester and mm. promptly Forrest conceded a goal and yeah I've been a fan long enough to know that you can't um rely on being in a two goal lead so stop Please. Indeed. Okay. So thank you very much for your sterling work on the voiceover. We're going back to the studio in just a few minutes, but now it's time to hear from Southampton fan Chris. The St. Mary's um, Saints Forest match over Christmas was a truly awful game. And I called it then, mentioned on your podcast that I thought both teams would go down. But from hearing the Forest Brighton game a few games ago, I changed my mind about Forest. I thought they'd shown the fight that it would take to stay up. And they showed it again last night. Um, the seesaw nature of the game it meant that we had a chance, but the glimmer of hope really has gone out now. I mean, some of our team have the fight, but not enough of them. And ultimately, it's the tactics and the structure that have undone us. And a lack of confidence, it just means the quality hasn't been there when we needed it. And even though I saw this coming at Christmas, it doesn't hurt any less. It's been a truly depressing season. So I wish you and all the Forest fans the best of luck in the remaining fixtures. I think you'll do it. I think you've really turned it around and uh, you've got what it takes uh, to just scrape through. And all the best for next season in the Prem for you guys. Thank you very much, Chris. And we appreciate you taking the time to send us those kind wishes. Adam... If we look at the table, 
I mean, it looks healthier in terms of league position now, doesn't it? Because Forrest, having started the match in 19th place, ended the match in 16th place and with three points clear of the relegation zone. Obviously, Leicester lost and Everton somehow won. I mean, there's no other way I can describe it. Yesterday was a batshit day in the Premier League in terms of the amount of goals scored and and the way everything won. But what's crucial is that Forrester 16th, three points clear, and technically it's in our own hands now, isn't it? It is. Um, you know, we've all played 35 games, so we're out the bottom three at the moment. So it is in, it definitely is in our own hands. Um, just before I say anything, though, I want to give an absolute massive shout-out to Everton. I thought they were absolutely brilliant against Brighton. They showed a real fighting spirit um, and, you know, the goals that they took with brilliant decor decor is have we done something to decor have we have we hurt up the low decor or something he scores <laughs> a brace against forest and then he and he scores a brace to get away at brighton he's, he seems hell-bent on sending forest down but no look they were they were excellent they thoroughly deserved to win um through my predictions that i made on the last part right out the window <laughs> but i watched the the fulham leicester game i thought leicester were terrible I think five three flatters them massively. It could have been seven or eight nil. They were absolutely dreadful. And this is a Fulham team without Mitrovic, without um, Andres Pereira. I, I, they just didn't. They didn't have to break a sweat. They were brilliant. William was class, but I'd be worried for Leicester if I was a Leicester fan. Hundred percent, be worried for Leicester. Um, a team that I said I thought were were out of it. I, I thought that they would did have enough but you're looking at the fixtures for Leicester and you, if you're a Leicester fan you're worried now aren't you? you you're really worried because you've got they've got Liverpool at home Liverpool are, are playing a bit like the Liverpool of old again they look really good they're chasing top four you know that they've got to win that um, and I think they will they've then got Newcastle away mm. yeah you know are Leicester going to be on 30 points in the last game of the season for playing West Ham? It, it, it's likely that they will be. You know, so Leicester are really going to struggle. Then you've got Leeds to put into the mix. Now, Leeds were good against Man City. You know, they were they were probably, they might feel a little bit unlucky not to get something in the end. Um, you know, Leeds have got Newcastle at home, which they've, they've got to get a result in. Then they've got West Ham away, which would be really tough because West Ham have really upped it recently. But they might have a Europa League final to, oh, sorry, Conference League final to look at. And then they've got Tottenham at home who are hit and miss at best. So Leeds is running maybe slightly better than Leicester's, but again, still tough. Um, you know, we could be in a situation where last night's win could keep us up on its own. But I, I think that you 36 points will keep us up. I'm not saying that we beat Chelsea on Saturday, but if we do beat Chelsea on Saturday and Leicester and Leeds lose, we'd be six points clear with two games to go with a much worse goal difference, admittedly. But you'd be asking a lot of Leicester and Leeds to 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 win both, you know, to win both of their games. And there's a 62 percent chance we stay up, according to Arthur stats, at this point in time. They don't look, there's just numbers and that, you know, it's one of them things. But you're looking at Forest, and if I was a neutral, I'd think Forest would stay up. So I've got I've got to look at that and think, well, I think we will stay up. We've got a tough game against Chelsea on Saturday, but 
what Chelsea are going to turn up. We've got Arsenal at home. Look, that's going to be a tough game, but we got a point against Man City at home. We're a better team than Arsenal. I, I don't see why we'd look at the Arsenal game and say we can't. There's no way we get anything out of that because we could. And then we've got Palace away last game of the season. They'll be on the beach. So I think the only way we go down is if we lose the next three. It's simple. I, I, and even then, it's not guaranteed we go down. It's that's it's how bizarre this season is. Um, but at this point in time, I mean, why not? Why can't we stay up? And what you know. Why can't we go to Stamford Bridge on Saturday and all but finish the job? I, I think we can. Don't, don't curse it, my friend. Don't curse it. Um, obviously, the, the elephant in the room is that it's an away match and Forrest's last 12 points have all come at home. Uh, the BBC um, report on, on the match on, on the website made a really interesting point, which is that um, obviously yesterday fans brought their scarves. The noise was intense, as we heard from Amilcar earlier. You know, people's watches were telling them that they that this, that they were t- it was too loud. The decibel meters were going going crazy off the scale. And the other thing I would also say is that BBC have made the point that Forest fans don't necessarily make it hostile to the opposition. It's not like going to a European match or somewhere like Turkey where they're really intimidating you. It's just pure positivity in support of in support of their own team, isn't it? And last night. The players, at times, in the Brighton match, Forest fans lifted the players. Last night, the fans started it. And then the players, when they needed a, a G up, you saw players like Felipe and Niakate and Aurier G'ing up the crowd. And that, you know, there's a really symbiotic relationship. And that's something that I want to, you know, take a few minutes to end this report by just acknowledging. Wasn't that just wonderful that not only in the last two matches have we gained successive home wins. Um, yesterday was the first time that we've scored uh, four goals in the Premier League in in your entire life, Adam, um, since we beat Southampton uh, way back in 1996, I think. But also the ground has never been so loud and the positivity amongst those fans. Yes, there's a few people who are Steve Cooper sceptics on social media, but at the ground on match day, it is so, so much in favour of Forest. And again, that's attracting national attention about how good we are. And people saying Forest deserve to stay up on the base of their fans alone. And let's take a minute to celebrate that. Yeah, look, the... the, the... You could, and like you say, it's getting it's getting national media, all that sort of stuff. But the fans were outstanding last night. I mean, you know, Morgan Gibbs White talked about it in his Sky Sports interview with Tubes. Um, you know, there's a reason we're winning in so many games at home. There's a re the, the players must feel like absolute giants playing in front of the, the you know the city ground crowd. And, and look, we've. Like, like, it sounds so bizarre to say it, but I actually think we could beat Arsenal at home. Like, I, I genuinely think because it's at home, we could beat Arsenal. Like, look, the away, if we go down, it's the away form that's taken us down because that home form is unbelievable. And I, I really, really hope and pray that if we stay up, um, the um, the players sort of acknowledge it. And they will. And that's the thing. The players, every single time they're asked about 
the games and all that sort of stuff. You've had, you've, I've had so many players say how good the crowd is, how much they're behind them. It was so loud last night. It was, it was unbelievably loud. It was unbelievably loud against Brighton. I mean, look, I sit in the lower trend. I'm fully aware the lower trend's not exactly the, the rowdiest end of the, the city ground, but it has been. It's been loud. I mean, the, the Nilo song, I can't get it out of my head. It's been racking around in my head all day. Like, like it was it was outstanding. The atmosphere was brilliant. And all I can say is, as a, you know, a call to action, if you like, is when we play Arsenal at home, let's make it even louder. Let's make it as loud as it's been all season. And let's really get behind the lads and let's pull off an absolute worldy resort against Arsenal. And we will leave it there. And I want to say a big thank you to Adam, to Emilka, and to Chris, a Southampton fan. And most of all, listener, as always, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to join us on the 1865 Match Report. As you'd expect, we'll be back after the Chelsea game. We'll be there for the last three matches of the season. And we will have a review of the season when the time comes, no matter what happens. Until next time, take care of yourselves and we'll catch you soon. Podcast Network.